So we're going to jump into the Word of God today. Let's go ahead and do it right now. We know we don't, take, we don't waste any time here at Chapel Point. We're going to be jumping in the end of Hebrews chapter 6. Let me tell you what's been going on. Though. This is a day you're going to want to go ahead and get some pen, paper, phone, tablet, something out, especially the second half of the message to take some of these notes. All right, it's going to be a, a day of encouragement and hope, but also of reflection and going, oh, wait a second, what does my life look like right now? So it's going to be that opportunity for us. We already know what's been taking place. I keep saying it over and over. Um, I'm going to tell you again now, Hebrews chapter 5 and 6, there's, there's been some really hard text here, some really difficult text. The end of chapter 5 is warnings against apostasy. A lot of people have been still confused about what that is. A warning against apostasy. Apostasy is someone who stepped away, right? It's a warning against stepping away from a previously claimed belief or statement of this is who I am, a, a religion, a, this is a declaration, and now you have stepped away from it. So people are stepping away from Christ, their allegiance to Christ, primarily, you want to know why? Because others didn't like it and said it would be less offensive if you just do this. Just go back to your normal religion that's in a box and contained, but that whole Jesus thing makes me experience conviction, and it's hard, and that's not fair to us, and that's what they were doing. So they told them, no more of that. And so they were being pressured not to bring Christ into the culture, not to bring Christ into their decision-making because it was messing with other people. So they're like, no, 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 don't do that. And so some of them actually gave in. It's no different than today. Well, yeah, but they don't like this, so that's not, very, that's not being very nice. And so we all define nice differently, and so they're stepping away from it. It continued on saying, listen, some of you, so much so, you've stepped away from the gospel. you stepped away from Christ, and it's not good, but guess what? There are better things to come. This is a week ago. Why did he say there are better things to come? It was very simple. He said there are better things to come because he was witnessing in them three different things, or at least encouraging them, pushing them toward these things to say, hey, you're good though. Why? Because you have a love that serves other people. So do you have a natural love that is serving other people? Or whenever you have to help other people out, you're going, it's not fair. Why aren't you helping? Right? Second thing was not only did they have a love that served other people, they had a hope that was persevering the circumstances. He saw people living in the hope of Christ, no matter what the conflict, no matter what the, the tension, the, I would say even um, uh, just the abrasiveness of the relationships that were existing. And so they were still persevering. He's like, no, obviously there are better things to come for you because I see the hope that you have. You're good. I see how you serve other people out of the love of Jesus. You're good. And then the last thing he said is like, hey, listen, some of you are literally, you are living in Christ in a way that allows you to have a faith that in, because you've inherited God's promises. I can tell how deep it is. You're living as Abraham would live. And it's wonderful to see. So all of this has been unfolding. And then we come to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 20. And it's an opportunity for us to reflect more about how we're living, how we can live with the certainty of God's promises that it is an anchor for my soul. So everybody go ahead and say this with me again. Jesus is an anchor for my soul. Ready? Okay, we're going to do it one more time because I saw, I could tell in the reflection that came up late. Ready, set, go. That's the thing you got to walk out with today. 
All right, so now we jump into the passage, Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 20. Will you stand and honor the reading of the Word of God? You know how it goes if you've ever been to Chapel Point before. If I leave a blank or anything like that, fill it in. Read along with me. All right, here it goes. Hebrews chapter 6, 13 and following. For when God made a two, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently obtained the For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to, we who have fled for refuge might have strong to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of you may be seated. People ask me, like, Joel, what makes you happy? That makes me happy. <laughs> Messing with other people makes me happy. So next week, I'm going to have all of us stand up and quote Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy. Um, and I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to get a chair and a camera and record it. And it's going to be fantastic. Um, Melchizedek, yeah, so that's something that we're going to get into a little bit more because he's mentioned so often in the book of Hebrews. But this is a passage that continues on. Remember, we added chapter and verse later to help people find out where they're going. This is just walking through and helping us better understand the points that he's already made. Listen, guys, there are better things to come for those of you who are serving others out of your love, who are persevering out of the hope that you have and, and the faith that you're demonstrating that is similar to Abraham. And so he just continues on this. And he says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, again, contextually, you have to understand this is important. So these people are being encouraged to go back to their, I would say what I would call their Old Testament faith, meaning it's, they practiced it. They didn't spread it to anybody else necessarily. They, if you weren't Jewish born in that manner, it was just like, that was their thing. And it wasn't as offensive to others. And so they're being encouraged to step back in that. But Abraham meant so much to them. And so they're learning from him. They're learning from this. And he's like, this, this is what you need to do. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. So it's letting them know God made a promise to himself to Abraham. Can't swear by anything greater than God. So he's like, hey, listen, I'm going to swear to Abraham, this is what he did, that I will bless you and multiply you. That's what he did for Abraham and for then his son, for Isaac, right? And it continues down the, the line, and he's made this promise. And so he, the reader is being reminded, here's what God's already done with Abraham. He made a promise, swore by himself because that's nothing to swear by that is greater. I'm going to multiply you. And it says, verse 15, and so thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all of their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Now, this is, this is big. God makes a promise to Abraham, seals it with an oath. 
An oath is, another way to think about an oath is final confirmation. An oath is, is the person who's saying, I will guarantee that this happens. So God makes a promise, an oath to Abraham. I'm going to multiply you. And here comes a section, a few words that we often want to overlook. This is fascinating to me. Before I even get to those words, how many of you would like to go, man, God loves me, I trust in God, and he is going to make sure that he keeps all of his promises no matter what, and I'm going to claim victory in Jesus. Is that a cool thing, yes or no? All right. But how about these next words? And Abraham waited patiently. That's... All of a sudden, that just, uh, wait a second, right? God loves you. You can trust in his promises. He wants to come. He's going to do everything he's ever promised to do. He even gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die. He talks about Melchizedek as a, a high priest, but now Jesus is the great high priest, and this is fantastic. Isn't this wonderful? But yet then we come to places where we like to skip over him. It says, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. It doesn't say, and Abraham obtained the promise. It says, Abraham, after waiting patiently, obtained the promise. And that's not what we sometimes like. Anybody like to get what they want when they want it right now? Anybody? I'm thinking sushi. And I don't like real sushi. I like the fried sushi. Right, with the crab and the shrimp and the cream cheese. Oh, man, that'd be so good right now. And I want what I want when I want it right now. Let's go. That's how we are. And we, we, we live that way, and we want God to do what we want, when we want him to do it right now. But yet, here's Abraham. The reason the story is still told is because here he is, and he's waiting patiently for God to do that which God wants to do. So we often define and interpret God's promises, right, the way we want to. We define and interpret God's will. Oh, this is so what we do. Have you ever defined God's will as whatever the path of least resistance is? Somebody recently told, said that and it just stood out to me because I've heard it before. And I'm like, wow, yeah, that's what we do. We think this is God's will and the path of least resistance means I don't have to walk through the storm. Why does it have to be so hard? But Abraham, did he have to go through some hard things? Yeah, really hard things. How about taking his son and putting him and it's going to kill him? I would say that's difficult. Abraham was able, to, was able to claim the greatness of the promises of God after he waited patiently, after he endured, after he persevered. He is a picture of what he's already said a week ago from the preaching, there are better things to come because you have a hope that allows you to persevere. That's a picture of Abraham. And so he's waiting patiently, didn't come easy. God swears by himself, he makes an oath Right? Naming the one who ensured the very promise, who is God himself. He's the co-signer. And then it steps in for us. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, I'm going to bless him. Here's Abraham, having patiently waited, attained the promise, swear by something greater than themselves. And all dispute, an oath is the final for confirmation. He makes an oath. So when God decided to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose... He guarantees it with an oath. Verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. Right? Those of you who have fled for refuge, things are hard in your life, so you've stepped away from God. Those of you who have like, oh no, what do I do now? And you don't know what to do now. And t- tensions are high in your marriage. Tensions are high with family. Some of you may be stressed because guess what Thursday is? Thanksgiving. Did I get the week right? <laughs> it just threw me for, right? And some of you are going, oh, like your biggest contention is turkey or ham. There, it, that's, the answer is simple. It's honey-baked ham. Did I hear a hallelujah? <laughs> and if you're more of a turkey person, prove it to me. By sh- give me a turkey that isn't more dry than a piece of cardboard on the highway. <laughs> All right? And so I look at this and bring it for roughly 35 staff people at the church. Okay, so um, I look at I go, man, some of you, that's the big tension. But for some of you, you're dreading it. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. We are dreading it. You don't want to have the conversations. You don't want to have the relationship. For some of you, COVID was the greatest blessing ever because it meant you didn't have to get together. No, I'm serious. Because you didn't have to get together with the family that you know there's going to be hard conversations. You know that you're just waiting for it to almost end so you can come back with just your family by yourself at home. And I'd rather recognize it because I think that's for more people than not. But here's Abraham waiting patiently. And you're trying to find refuge and you're trying to anywhere whatsoever. But he's letting us very clearly understand. Listen, there's, there's some unchangeable things. And you already need to know it's impossible for God to lie. So here he's going to call it out. Listen, you need to understand this. You can have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before you. You can endure. Everybody say, I can endure. You can. You can keep walking patiently, waiting for God to work. It doesn't mean that you turn against God because he's not doing it in your timing because your timing doesn't matter. It's all about God's timing and we trust in him that his timing is perfect, yes? So quit getting ticked off at God when he doesn't do things in your timing for he's the one who is the altar and the perfecter of life. You're not. It makes no sense. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, there's a hope for us. And there is an absolute, re- please hear it, there is an absolute reliability in God's promises. Meaning, they will not move, they will not budge, they are eternal. He will not fail us. God will not fail you. God will not fail you. It doesn't mean you don't have a junky old uncle who's about to yell at you on Thanksgiving, but God is greater. I just, and I'm, I'm only loud right now, not because I'm getting on to you. I'm trying to get it to soak in. We've got to stop living in the defeat of self and living in the victory of Jesus. It's amazing to do. There's an absolute reality in God's promises that you can take hold of and you can live by that. And it's amazing to think about. In fact, Spur- Charles Spurgeon, who everybody knows, I love reading his stuff. Charles Spurgeon says that in effect, that if you're assuming that God breaks his promises, you're assuming he has committed perjury. 
But do you live as though promises from God are real? Do you live in that way? Do you live as though, you know what? I can stand in that. I can stand firm because I know God won't break his promises. I know that he's not a liar. It's impossible for God to lie. But living that way is different. But we need to be reminded that Jesus is an anchor for my soul. Say it again. Go. Before I jump into 19 and 20, I want you to pay attention to the very end of 18. Because it's, an, it's okay, remember, friends, all of Scripture, 66 books, they weave together and they t- they're all like this, right? Intermingle. It all, it's not sectioned. There are sections, like you've got the first five books of the Bible, Torah, Pentateuch, right? That's a section. You've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's a section. But at the same time, they're not necessarily blocks. They all weave together. They all weave together. And here's something. This, even in this letter, you see this weave that's happening. And he tells us at the very end of verse 18, these words that are so significant, we may have, so that we may have, even if you fled for refuge, I want you to have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before you. Hold fast. Sound familiar? Everybody say, hold fast. That's something that we see over and over in this passage. It's one of the challenges that the believer has. Hold fast. Hold fast. uh, Two, three weeks ago, I was talking about this as it's walking through it in the passage again in previous chapters. It means to remain tightly secured to, right? You You grip onto it. You won't let it go. Imagine monkey bars. Yes, so I have lots of kids. We go to a playground and occasionally we see monkey bars. And especially my younger ones, they're like, oh, watch this, Dave. And they go across until I push them. And so, but then I'm like, watch me. Because I'm still trying to be young. Anybody do this? And so I try to do the monkey bars. And I do the first two awesome. Because I still have enough momentum. And then, I, and then I remind myself that, and I'm being reminded, I have to carry my entire body weight. It doesn't work very well. I'm telling you that story because I want you to, I want you to picture that to go, are you holding that firmly to God's promises? Or have you let them go? The weight's been too great. Maybe you haven't taken care of yourself spiritually. And so the weight is too great and you can no longer hold yourself up. You see, there are too many people who come to know Christ as a child. And we grow physically, but we don't grow spiritually. But we need to grow spiritually so that we can still hold on and to remain holding fast to the promises of God. Holding fast means that we remain tightly secured, means that we are anchored to it. It cannot be moved. Verse 19 says in the New Living Translation, I read it for the, in the ESV before. That's the primary translation I use is the English Standard Version, New Living Translation, NLT. It's an interesting read as well, and it says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. This hope, right? Hope is a worldly definition of wishful thinking. Hope doesn't move, biblical definition. Two different things. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus is an anchor for my soul. What does it really mean to have that type of hope that is an anchor for our soul? What does that mean? 
Now, many people have certainly spoken about what an anchor does. I want to give you a few things very quickly. We're going to run through this part fast. This is someone that you might want to write down. I want to tell you what an anchor does. What our, and another way to think about it is what our, not even, well, really what our hope in God does. Because again, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is certainty in who God is. It does not move. It does not budge. It is there forever. So what does our anchor do if you're truly there? One, you need to be reminded of a few things. An anchor is out of sight, not seen, but certainly felt. So you don't always see it. Seen or not seen. That's a biblical uh, phrase that is often there where people are going, wait, you don't see God, but you trust in God. And you know that he's present. You know that he's there with you. You know that his promises are forever. You know that you can trust in him. So you need to know now it's out of sight, not seen, but it's certainly always felt. An anchor is. It's certainly felt. Another thing. It hooks on to the rocks below. It's not just a heavy weight. It hooks on, so that's an anchor, comes down, and it does like this. Let me tell you what an anchor is not. A giant wrecking ball that's round that has a tither on the end where you can tie to it and you're like, boom. It's not, because then it could still be drugged. An anchor has the hooks on the end for a reason, or at least a giant scoop thing, so that as it gets pulled initially, it digs into the rocks and to the dirt beneath, and it holds to it so it won't move. If it's just a round ball, it doesn't serve the same purpose. It may help you in the small storms, but in the large storms, it doesn't help. And the small storms is like, okay, I just need a little bit here. The winds aren't very much. I just want to stay where I am. But in a bigger storm, the bigger the storm is, the more you recognize the need for a real anchor. And so you need to know that it hooks onto the rocks below. And so if you have an anchor that is for the soul, that is firm and steadfast, you're hooking on to something that is immovable, unchangeable, and his name is Jesus. But some of us aren't using that as our anchor. This is something that challenges us. Another thing that an anchor does, it holds a ship steady. Keeps you from being smashed on the rocks. It holds you where you were. Uh, fill in the blank. Two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes I, I, have, felt, I have felt that way spiritually, two steps forward. Sometimes I feel like this, two steps forward, two steps back. But it keeps you from reverting. It keeps you from, from digressing. It keeps you from going back to a place where you don't want to be anymore. And so if you're anchored to Christ, if you're anchored and you truly do trust in the oath that he has made and the promises that he had made to Abraham, that he's kept them for generations and generations, if you live in that, all of a sudden, when hard things come, when storms arise, you're not reverting back to that time in which you are an immature believer. You're standing firm in him. You're standing firm in him. So hold your ship steady. Acts, um, a passage just you can go look at, um, Acts 27, 29. It speaks about when Paul is traveling and there's all this storm. And so he's with the sailors and they don't know what to do. So they throw down four anchors. It says to keep them from smashing on the rocks. Some of us are living in chaos. The storm is blowing and we're actually not using the anchor and we're like well I'm going to smash on the rocks but we never actually rely on God friends it does no good if you have an anchor that remains on the deck if you don't use it it's worthless if you don't live by it it's useless 
If you don't use the anchor, it doesn't benefit you. It doesn't help at the end of the day, but I have an anchor in Jesus, but you're not using it. You're still living by your own desire. You're still living by what you want. You're still living by your own preconceived notions of what should be. Listen, my friends, we live in a broken world, but our anchor is certain. Our trust is certain because God is trustworthy. And so we use the anchor. There are too many people professing to have an anchor, but they never use the anchor. So we get to use the anchor. And another thing you've got to understand about an anchor, did you know that an anchor is worthless if it's not connected to the ship? We live our own life. I'll give you an example. We, we live our own life, and things get rough. And we, we'll, we'll go to church and we'll, we'll jump into scripture sometimes. We might even read the entire birth of Jesus on Christmas morning with our family, Luke chapter 2. And we're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the storm keeps blowing and the storm keeps blowing. So we're like, oh, wait, I, I remember. I've got an anchor. So we take the anchor and we throw it overboard and it just drops to the bottom because we're not tied to it. That'd be called a bad day. Are you tied to the anchor? Uh, another way to think about all of this is that an anchor helps maintain, and this is similar to holding the ship steady. It helps us maintain the progress that we've already had to not drift back where we came from, to not revert, to not run back to that place of immaturity. These are all things that an anchor does. And when we see that, when we start to understand that an anchor holds us where we were, an anchor doesn't let us smash on the rocks, it doesn't remove the storm, it keeps us from smashing on the rocks. They would have understood the Sea of Galilee, the way that the mountains are around the Sea of Galilee, the wind was really just sometimes would amp up, still does to this day, the storms get crazy through there. So their understanding of these storms were very real. You remember the stories of Jesus, even when he, there's a storm and all the disciples are on the boat and Jesus is out in the bow of the ship sleeping. Um, they're like, like, what are you doing that? Like, that's the son of God. Like, you come up to your brother over here and like, hey, do, do we wake him up because the son of God? But like, I'm freaking out. So what do we do? Do you wake him up? Do you not wake him up? Do you wake him up? Do you wake him up? Well, they go and like, hey, what's up? And he's like, don't you trust me? You see me, you know I'm here, but are you tethered to me? Are you connected to me? Well, if you are, connected to, to Jesus Christ, then guess what you get to do? You get to, according to this passage, you get to enter into the inner place behind the curtain. When you would go into the inner place, that means you would literally go into the presence of God, and now you get to enter into the presence of God for eternity. You're anchored to Christ, and he, it tells us in this passage, is the forerunner, which really means that we're to be afterrunners following Jesus because we get to follow him into the presence of God for eternity because we're anchored to him. We're tethered to him. We know that he doesn't necessarily remove the storm, but he keeps us steady in the midst of the storm. The more your boat is rocking and the more you're freaking out, the more I'm going to challenge you in terms of whether or not you're actually tethered to him. 
If your anchor has been lowered or if it's just sitting on the, the, the dock of the ship, the deck of the ship, And so we have hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek, was a, he was a, here's the difference in high priest and great high priest. He was a representative of God. Now certainly Jesus is a representative, but he is also a forerunner, meaning he leads us into his presence personally. And we get to live in that. We get to celebrate that. It's amazing to think about. So now we get to anchor to God. Jesus is an anchor for our soul. We get to learn from people like Abraham who walked through the hard, who had to wait patiently. Some of you are just going, I need to wait patiently. That's, where, that's the message you need to get. But an anchor, that is Jesus. So here's the thing that's been sitting with me a lot lately. Um, I walked out a few weeks ago after preaching, and I went home, and I'm staring off into the space like I normally do. And I was like, man, one thing I don't want to do is pastor for 50 years or however long God will allow me to be on this earth and to preach to the same thing, trying to convince the same people of the same thing that they can trust in Jesus. What, what you want to do is you want to pastor people who are living and active in their faith so that they're constantly being transformed. That's what I love about Chapel Point. We're, trans, we're being transformed together. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that not only, see, when the individual is transformed, the body is transformed. And now as a body, we're being transformed to where we're, we're sharing our faith. People in this congregation are sharing their faith more openly than ever before. Can't tell you how many stories I get of people praying for people the first time they've ever prayed for someone. Instead of saying, I'll be praying for you, they go, I need to pray for you right now. Have one guy come to me and he's like, it's the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done except to ask my wife to marry me, but I knew she would say yes. And I was a big gruff guy, so I was like, that's great. I didn't know what to say. I was like, that's super, right? Like, that's what's happening. We're being transformed together. But my, my, my concern is for some is we keep wanting and declaring and stating one thing, but we're actually not living in it. And so my, my fear for many is that we have this anchor, this, this thing of hope in Jesus that is an anchor for our soul, but I don't, I'm concerned about how many people aren't actually tethered to it. We know the right answer, but we're actually not connected to it. And so I want to give you, we're going to play a game. Four things I'm going to run through very quickly. There's something else you need to write down. It's called pick a number game. I just made that up. One, two, three, or four. You're going to pick a number. Which of these you most identify with? And it's how can we anchor to God better? How can we have, remember we are to hold what? Hold fast. 
Remain tightly secured to. So another way you can think of this, how can you remain tightly secured to the promises of God? How can you live in that hope that is so deep that it catches the rocks underneath, that it cannot be moved, it cannot be budged, and so you live in that? What is it that you can do to remain tightly secured? Because once tightly secured, we can maintain that. We can live in that. So how we anchor to God, what is it? First number, this might be you. Number one, first thing we need to do is we need to identify the sin that weakens our grip. Identify the sin that weakens your grip. This is a very long time ago. Um, I only had one kid. I still remember the story. We went down the street um, right around the corner from our house. We had some play, a playground at the school. This is when I lived in the Northeast. And so we, we go there. I only had my youngest. He was only probably a year, year and a half old. And so we're playing on the playground. I'm being a good dad. And I'm literally holding on to some bars. And my son jumps off of where he was standing on part of the playground and jumps onto my back. I have nothing under me. Now, I know you look at me and you go, beast, look at him. <laughs> However, that's a, that would have been a great time for you not to laugh. <laughs> like, literally, I'm going to go backstage after the service and be like, I got to do push-ups. Um, uh, so I, I go and I just, he gr- jumped onto my back and boom, I hit the ground. Now, I saved his life. Not really, but I, I, that's a better story. So I saved his life. I reached out and caught him. Um, but I hit the ground hard because all of a sudden of that weight that hit me, some of us have a weight on us right now that is keeping us from remaining tightly secured to the fact that Jesus is an anchor for our soul. It could be a marriage, right? Very clear picture of what God desires in your marriage. If, you, if you're married or think about ever being married one day, is here is God, here is wife, here is husband. And if you're both growing closer to God, you're growing closer to each other. It's the easiest way to think about it. And for some of you, you're growing closer to God, but this, this lady or this guy is going, no way, so they're going this way. But some of the time, we need to acknowledge that we are to remain tightly secured to the anchor that is Jesus Christ, but we're not. What is that for you? Maybe it's pornography, it's lust, maybe it's the idolatry of money or anything else in your life what is it for you? Acknowledge it. Go talk about it today. Go, you know what? I'm, tr- I'm trying to remain tightly secured to the fact that Jesus is an anchor for my soul, but I can't because I have this weight that keeps jumping on me. But you need to make the change. What's the weight? And if it is your, your spouse or a friend maybe, and they just always speak so negatively of other people, now you're speaking negatively of other people, and that's weighed on you, go talk to whoever it is and say, you know what, I know you don't want to hear this, but I feel that you're a weight for me spiritually rather than helping me hold on more tightly to the fact that Jesus is an anchor. You're causing me to release the fact that Jesus is an anchor for my soul, and I don't want it. So one, how do we remain, or to, how do we keep Jesus' anchor for our soul as we identify the sin that weakens our grip? That's number one, pick, pick a number game. Number two, read and meditate on hope. Read and meditate, I'm gonna give you three verses right down right now that I'm asking for you to consider memorizing. And I know I always ask you to memorize scripture, but I am so tired of people claiming to love the word of God and not knowing the word of God. Can we change 
our desires? Can we change the expectations? Let's go Word of God, okay? Can we agree on that? The one thing you're going to get at Chapel Point is the Word of God. Read and meditate on hope. Hebrews 6.19. That's what I'm preaching right now. Boom. 1 Corinthians 13.13. For these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So there it is, faith, hope, and love. Talked about that last week. Let's go Romans 5.5. Romans 5.5, right, please. You got to know Romans 5.5. Because it begins by saying, and hope does not disappoint us. It doesn't say, and hope does everything in your timing. Remember, Abraham waited patiently. It says, and hope does not disappoint us. Romans 5, 5. Does not disappoint us because God poured out, of his, poured out his love on us through the Holy Spirit. We're good. You're good. Everybody say, I'm good. So pick a number. Number two is read and meditate on hope. So some of you need to identify the sin that's holding, causing you to lessen your grip on the fact that Jesus is an anchor for your soul. Some of you need to read and meditate on hope. You just need to sit in it and remind yourself. Some of you need to pray, start praying with certainty in God. Pray with certainty in God. I love thanking God in advance for what he's going to do. It doesn't mean I pray to God telling him how he's going to do it, but there are certain promises he's already made. So I'm like, God, thank you so much for hearing my cry. I don't know how you're going to answer it, but I already trust in you. I'm looking forward to seeing how you're going to live this out and how you're going to display yourself in this, and I trust you in that. It doesn't mean I get what I want, but I trust you, God. Thank you. so. Right? There's a difference in praying with certainty than praying with a lack of confidence. Remember, biblical hope certainty in worldly hope wishful thinking do you pray with wishful thinking or a great confidence in who god is so evaluate your prayers pick a number number four is to encourage others to take hold of hope We all know words inform your heart. The words you think and the words you speak inform your heart. And so when others are speaking into your life, man, just trusting God, I know things are hard. I know the storm is going crazy right now in your life, but just wait patiently, endure, remain steadfast to God, and you can start living in that hope and encouragement Right? There are too many of us because we're beaten down, because we're actually not tethered to the anchor. We're not speaking the words of encouragement, the words of hope to other people when we need to be speaking words of hope. Our God's got this. The world seems to be collapsing, but guess what? God is still working. God is moving because people are recognizing, right? There's so many. Start looking at the surveys out there. People are going, you know what? Everything the world is saying is wrong in Christ. And so they're living in the opposite way. Things are getting worse, yes, because we're stepping farther away from God. Our God is still alive. Our, st our God is still good. Jesus is still an anchor for anybody who declares his name and lives by faith in him. We're good. And so speak those words of encouragement to other people to have that hope in Jesus Christ, to know that your words matter to them. 
Everybody, one more time. Everybody say, Jesus is an anchor for my soul. One more time. Will you live in that certainty? That as we, as we close today, whenever, whenever Pastor Nathan comes out to start playing, I know it's time for me to wrap up. All right? Um, will you all do me a favor? Stand with me real quick. Uh, do me, just do me a favor here. Close your eyes. You're gonna, we're going to do a little exercise. Imagine you're standing at the beach. I don't care what state, Michigan, Florida, whatever. Don't matter to me. And the water washes up over your feet. And you start to press your feet in. And they get deeper and deeper. Right? And the water's coming up over. And yet they go back out. And yet, even though the waves may come bigger and bigger, your feet get deeper and deeper. They're more implanted. Everybody see it? Everybody feel it? You got it? Plant your feet in the word of God. Like some of you right now, you have so much going on and there's so much craziness and so much chaos. You need to feel your feet being grounded in the fact that Jesus is an anchor for your soul, that he's holding you there. He's keeping, so that you, keeping you where you are so you don't revert back to a life that's apart from him. And you need to remind yourself that you can plant your feet upon Jesus Christ and the word of God, and he will not abandon you. Praise be to God. And so for these friends, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them, that you would allow them to know what it is to rest in confidence in who you are, that their feet would be buried in the rock and the sand, that their feet would be steady because you're steady. You never waver. You never change. We say thank you, Lord. May they identify anything in their life that's pulling them away from being tightly secured to you. May they have the courage to do something about it. May they live in the hope of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.